0: Welcome back to the Cybersecurity Evangelist, or TCE for short. What we hope is the cybersecurity podcast for everyone. With cyber being an integral part of nearly every minute in our personal lives, and one of the costs of doing business in today's world, cybersecurity is less about the cyber and more about the people. So on TCE, our goal is to address the human element of cybersecurity and how with proper awareness and a few basic tips, everyone can be more cyber secure. Hi, welcome back to the Cybersecurity Evangelist. This is episode 17. I hope you all enjoyed the last episode. Uh, I got to the heart of romance scams. Yes, pun intended. Um, But it seems everyone had fun with my example of how I social engineer my husband to get ice cream. Andy and Dave tweeted about it a lot and mom even liked it too. But today I have with me Zach Nelson and Joshua Justice from the Health Information uh, Health Information Sharing and Analysis Center, or Health ISAC. Um, Zach is the Threat Operations Center Manager, and Joshua is a Senior Cyber Threat Intelligence Analyst. Now, you may have heard, that sounds familiar, the Health ISAC is no stranger to the Gate 15 podcast family of um, to the Gate 15. 15 podcast family. Andy had Errol Weiss, the chief security officer on the show back in on his interview back in July of 2020. And Dave had John Crosson, the director of special interest group services on the nerd out security panel discussion back in July of 2021. And I'll include both of those episodes in the show notes. You can have a listen. And with Zach and Josh joining me today, it's the trifecta from Health ISAC. And also with that, Health ISAC wins the award for the ISAC most likely to appear on the Gate15 podcast channel. So um, yes, I'm not doing another ISAC series per se. Loyal listeners will recall that I did several, spoke with several ISACs over a several month period um, beginning of last year and end of the year before, but um, when I talked to ISACs, I usually like to share a little something personal that relates my affinity or passion for that community. So I know I've shared this before, so I'll keep it short, but I left my corporate job uh, at the big bank in 2016 so that I could help small healthcare practices with their HIPAA compliance. You know, the form that you sign uh, every time you go to the doctor's office. I wanted to help them with the compliance efforts and regulations with, uh, with the privacy and security and cybersecurity of that, uh, I had a few clients, but that didn't take off nearly like I'd hoped. Turns out, I'd rather work than sell, so I worked, and uh, you know, the you don't you don't keep getting customers unless you know, you're selling, but anyway, but during that time through InfraGuard, I joined a newly formed or newly formed then cyber health working group. Um, Admittedly, nowadays I just lurk there, but it does keep me current on the concerns of the cybersecurity practitioners in the health community. Um, Also shortly after I joined gate 15-ish, I had presented on insider threats for a health ISAC webinar series. So that was like, I gosh, I guess that was a few years ago now, seems like yesterday. And then more recently, you may recall my episode with the Tribal ISAC. So in support of Tribal ISAC, I'm constantly monitoring threats to healthcare, care as tribes have a lot of health services and hospitals. Um, I'm not nearly in the thick of it as these guys, but I'm a stranger to the healthcare care and public health sector. I certainly wish I had more time to be. I do miss my malware analysis and research days, but I digress. But just like the other ISACs, the Health ISAC exists because there is a tremendous need for information sharing among healthcare organizations and as well as other government with our government partners to help keep our protected health information private and secure, among other things. Um, so Zach and Josh, welcome. I'm gonna stop talking now. Um, if you guys could tell me more about yourself, um, your background, and then of course, some of the great work that you're doing in the Threat Operations Center. Um, Zach,
1: you can go first. <laughs> yeah, so I'll get us started. My name is Zach Nelson. I'm the manager of the Threat Operations Center. Um, I had the benefit of working for a mid midsize HDO in Orlando, Florida, prior to coming over into this role. So I have some background um, with the ISACs, and I've watched this particular ISAC grow for quite some time um, and go through a lot of different changes, and obviously for... Obviously, it's gone in a very positive direction. Um, Josh and I, who's here with me, we were hired together. Um, We've built out a lot of great uh, tool sets under the tutelage of Weiss, our CSO. Um, And I'm very excited for what the future holds, not only for Josh and myself, but the team as a whole as we start to move towards a more global follow the sun operation. And uh, I'll pass it over to Josh to introduce himself as well.
2: Hey, thanks, Zach. Thanks, Jen. I'm Joshua Justice. I'm a uh, senior cyber threat intelligence analyst here at Health ISAC. As uh, Zach mentioned, uh, I've been on the team for about two and a half years now. We actually started on the same day. Uh, it was shortly after the actual Threat Operations Center was created. Uh, again, as uh, Zach mentioned, Era Weiss uh, brought us in and we started that Threat Operations Center. So our, our humble beginnings where we, we started out and we uh, created a an email address that we could start receiving intelligence and information sharing. And then uh, we just kind of grew from there. it's uh, where we had started building out more mature programs and collection systems uh, for how to share that intel and uh, how to action that information. Uh, when you first get started at an information sharing center, uh, you're pretty overwhelmed uh, with that, that plethora of information. Uh, so prior to Health ISAC, uh, I worked for uh, Booz Allen Hamilton. Uh, so I was a, a contractor there. And I helped build capture the flag challenges uh, for folks that were transitioning from the military over into uh, cyber careers. Uh, That was an assessment to determine uh, where they would be best fit and I also worked on uh, real-time interactive tools and RTIS for mapping uh, current events that were occurring over in uh, the Middle East. Uh, Prior to that I also worked for Experian. I did uh, dark dark web monitoring alerts Uh, so Uh, Whenever you get one of those email alerts that says, hey, your your information got exposed uh, to the dark web and you you get worried about that, I I worked where people could call in and say, hey, I just found out about an alert. Can you tell me what I should do about it? Uh, So I helped a lot of folks that were going through uh, really bad cases of identity theft, uh, but also helped out a lot of folks that just happened to have an old email address or password that might have been exposed on the dark web. Uh, From a healthcare perspective, I uh, worked for University of Florida, Uh, they have a genetics institute there so i worked as a uh, network administrator uh, helping support that operation and i also worked for a uh, internet service provider Uh, that particular position uh, even though we were an internet service provider uh, i worked as a technician in the data center there Uh, so i've got a lot of experience in uh, data centers kind of how those operate Uh, but coming on board at health ISAC was a a big change Uh, there's a lot of information moving as there should be the sharing center Uh, so it's it's been quite overwhelming, uh, but at the same time, it's been really exciting uh, to gain access to the tools we have and start putting that information together and making it available for our members uh, so that they can gain value uh, from us being here.
0: Awesome. So, um, Zach, thank you. Josh, thank you. Um, Not that your intro wasn't interesting, Zach, but I keyed on a couple things on Josh. One, yeah, the plethora of information sharing when you work for an ISAC is... Like I've had that conversation at home. It's like, um, no, something happened. I don't care that it's eight o'clock or it's on a Saturday. I have to address this. Like admittedly, I do check out a lot, but then there are those times where I just don't have that, you know, and it's like, I, I have to, I mean, that's the business we're in. I have to share this information out. So, you know, it's sometimes an uncomfortable, uh, you know, um, conversation at home on the weekends. However, um, and I should be keying in on the, you know, helping of, you know, everyone who had, you know, has data exposed and that's an important piece, but the geek in me keyed on, on the, the capture the flag. Um, I'm actually afraid of capture the flags because I never have enough time. So I always, I want to do them, but I always shy away from them because I know something's going to happen and, you know, we're gonna have to stop and share information with somebody else and write up a report or do something else. And so I like, I'm always cringing. because, like, boy, I'd like to do, do that. Even the basic ones, you know, not even the, the the ones with the packet captures and yes, I'm geeking out TCE audience, but, um, you know, even it's just the simple ones where answer this question, what would you do next? You know, kind of stuff based on open source. It's like, I just, am not going to have the time. And then they review it and go, Oh, I could have done that without looking at anything. That's awesome. But oh, well, now you keyed in on the, uh,
2: the secret there. It's, it's timing. It's, uh, how much <laughs> time do you have to actually get it done? Because everybody <laughs> can figure out how to get in somewhere if you give them enough time, but the, uh, the capture the flag challenges, I think is really clever about those if you start to see people knocking them out entirely in two hours, then you you shorten up the amount of time you provide to somebody to 90 minutes. Uh, But (laughs) those Capture the Flag challenges that I find to be the most interesting are the ones that generally carry out over two or three days uh, where there's just a ton of different areas and you kind of accumulate points over time. And then, you know, everybody settles up at the end and sees who was able to accomplish the most over a multi-day period with a larger team that helps you kind of move into those different areas where you may have weaknesses.
0: Well, one more question. You said, I think at Booz Allen or you did the, the CTFs, capture the mm-hmm. flags for the audience that, you know, the acronym soup there. Um, you said you did it for kind of military and, and helping, you know, military acclimate. Were you former military? You didn't mention that. So I'm guessing not. But if you are, I wanted to, you know, give you credit there.
2: No, you're correct. I was not former military, uh, but I've worked in a lot of positions now where I work with former military and I really like working with former military. I love <laughs> awesome. the uh, the structure that comes with that and the expectations. Uh, there's the really clear communication lines and uh, I've, I've enjoyed uh, the fact that I've been able to augment uh, their operations in quite a few different roles.
0: Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you. Um... So let's see, where are we at? So, okay, we, we brought up the, you know, the threat operations center, but you guys are pivotal in, in that role. Um, when the threat operations center was, uh, you know, incepted, um, I understand you guys had a pretty heavy, um, you know, requirement or, you know, pretty heavy goal to obtain, Um, you know, part in part, we talk about, you know, I'm sure the audience is aware of all the headlines with all the breaches to healthcare organizations and your doctor's offices and, and other types of organizations, and then ransomware, of course, impacting hospitals. Again, that's a headline. I'm not going to, you know, we're not going to go into that. Um, so we understand some of that, but is there any other data out there that, you know, listeners might be surprised, um, that's being leaked and being sold on, on, you know, on the dark web, on the underground.
1: Um, I'll touch on ransomware and the data leaks that occur from that and how that helps us out. And then I'll let Josh kind of get into the uh, PHI and how the affiliates and the hackers or threat actors for that matter, why they want your personal health information and what they can and cannot do with it. But um, ultimately we're connected uh, to a lot of information and we can get into the, uh, the, the fact of how we automate a lot of this information here in a moment. Part of my background was in security orchestration automation and also leveraging threat intelligence platforms in my last position, uh, procuring and implementing that. So a lot of what we do with what's known as ransomware data leaks uh, via multiple sources is we try to get that information out to um, our membership so they can kind of keep an eye on uh, how many times a specific ransomware operator group may have um, lab- leveraged their tactics, techniques, and procedures and and more or less brought a, a victim into the fold and what they did with that data. And so there's numerous uh, different data leak sites. um, And it kind of grew initially into they were holding your data hostage. And then they got to the point to where they would hold your data hostage and then threaten to leak certain information out to the public within these ransomware data leaks um, little by little if you didn't start to come into the fold and play the game with them in regards to giving them the ransom that they were trying to obtain from you. So sometimes what will happen is that PHI will get out there, um, based off the ransomware operators and how they they operate on a day to day basis. And I'll let Josh talk a little bit more about what they do with that PHI.
0: Sure. Real quick, uh, for for the audience, PHI is protected health information, and that's that's what's in those HIPAA documents that you're signing every day, every time you go to the doctor. Uh, that's the acronym. That's what we call it. You know, in threat intel and in, in the cybersecurity community so um just clarifying that before we move on so people are going with like, what's phi that's okay no problem
2: so a lot of times though these threat actors are gathering as much data as they can uh, just so they can sit on more and more data until they're able to leverage that data to gain access uh, so phi data for example uh, that is built, that is used quite often for building out identities. People use that uh, health information to build out an identity so they can create another persona online that is not their persona, uh, so they can move around online using your credentials and your information to gain access to certain privileges uh, that their identity does not have. Uh, those are associated with your health insurance or with your health care providers. Uh, so that's, it's not ideal for that information to be getting out there. Uh, we identified very early on when we uh, kind of started things up here about two and a half years ago uh, that there were some big headlines about uh, radiograph images, like x-rays and MRI images uh, that were out there that uh, millions of them were on the Internet and they're accessible. And that's true. It's still true today. Uh, but we, we tackled it first by reaching out to the manufacturers to try to see if we could get the, the software defaults changed. Uh, We made a little bit of progress there, but not quite as much as we had hoped. And then uh, we started uh, tracking down um, exposures of those images uh, to specific hospitals and organizations and notifying those organizations uh, that they have exposures so that they can change their settings. Uh, So we were able to kind of attack it from both sides at the, uh, the beginning when you roll out that software and set up those configurations. And also, if you already set up your configuration and it happens to be vulnerable, Uh, We're now getting uh, alerts for that to notify individuals or uh, individual members for that matter uh, that they have some uh, images that are out there. And there's, there's two sides to that. You've got your X-rays, your MRIs that are out there where people could see you know, your injuries and you might think, well, I don't want that out there. Uh, but what's worse to that is most of the time when those images are taken so they don't get them confused with other patients, right on those images, they have uh, your information, they have your, 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 your name. Sometimes they might have your social security number, things of that nature. And those are all incredibly valuable uh, for building out um, identity profiles so that you can uh, orchestrate identity theft and fraud, uh, which is a big issue in healthcare, is uh, kind of mitigating that fraud. Uh, So we try to do the best we can to prevent those sorts of uh, breaches and exposures uh, by providing uh, best practices out there and awareness. Uh, Part of our uh, daily routine is to share articles on those data breaches that are occurring uh, so that everybody's aware that it is still an issue and that uh, there are things you can do to prevent that. And uh, we're doing what we can to uh, also notify folks that are vulnerable. that they can go ahead and get that secured now. Uh, so we're, we're really excited about those new alerts now. And those are specific to uh, PACS DICOM systems. Uh, so that's P-A-C-S uh, slash D-I-C-O-M. And so those are uh, DICOM systems that often run on port 104. Uh, so we're now looking out for those so we can notify our members uh, if your images might happen to be there.
1: And another thing um, on to tag on to what Josh is talking about there is, you know, a lot of the threat actors will use that information to extort either that that hospital system. um, A lot of the other members that we may have in the different verticals that we have, but that data is used to extort not only those um, organizations, but also. um, Those. Patients or people that are that are uh, that our members serve. So, one of the major reasons why I joined the Health ISAC is the fact that you know it's really not even about Health ISAC. It's not even really about the members that we serve. It's really about the people, which are our mothers, our fathers, our grandmothers, our grandfathers, our aunts, our uncles, our children regardless of who it may be, this is the information that we are looking to help augment our members to protect that information from being exposed out there. And what we find out is in most cases, the articles that we put out in the daily cyber headlines that we have a distribution on a day-to-day basis, like Josh had spoke about, is part of that daily cyber headlines is one of the subcategories is data breaches. We find that a lot of those data breaches and the organization that is named is typically not a ISAC member to our knowledge. And so it just holds true to the, the, the key pillars of what being an ISAC is all about. And that's that sharing capability and that analysis that others provide and how the overall membership of an ISAC help, helps augment the multiple teams that you have within your cybersecurity team, your legal team, um, your compliance team, you name it. So it definitely helps benefit to be a part of an ISAC.
0: I wholeheartedly concur. Uh, so that brings up a few questions on my end. One of them's probably le- well, they're probably more geeky or ISAC to ISAC analyst related. Um, uh, yeah, I am aware that you guys do reach out to organizations. Um, and a lot of them aren't members. Um, what's your, um, success rate with the cold calls? Um, are you usually receptive and we can take that one offline? Like what's your secret sauce that makes you successful? Cause you know, I'll reach out on behalf of water ISAC and tribal ISAC to a lesser degree have been pretty successful given the the number that I've reached out to. Uh, but with water ISAC, it's like, um, yeah, okay. And, And usually they're kind of mom and pop systems and smaller systems that don't, you know, So I was just curious what your um, success rate is with your cold call, you know, victim notifications.
1: So let me start out with how that all came about. And it's not something that I thought that we were going to get into when we first took on this position here between Josh and myself. And with the ridiculous amounts of researchers that are out there, uh, security researchers for that matter, and all the trusted intelligence partners we have with different rules of engagement, um, showed in um, other vulnerability scanning resources, as Josh just alluded to with the DICOM, and I'll let him get into the other aspects of that. There's so much information coming into the ISAC as far as the data sources that we're collecting. And what I thought was awesome is how Josh has taken all of that information and he has stored it and we keep track of it. And he sends out a ridiculous amount of targeted alerts. And obviously we don't ever want to point at something that's of not high fidelity or high value to that member, especially at a time that, you know, is gonna really cause internal issues with an organization. We wanna make sure that it's it's actually a value and of high impact. And that's one thing that Josh holds true to and, uh, I mean, I can't take credit for what he's built out, so I'll let him talk a little bit more about the targeted alert program that, that he has really spearheaded within our organization.
2: Thanks, Zach. Uh, Jen, to, to answer the, the question about the feedback, uh, I would say ask for feedback. I know that sounds silly, but for the first uh, year, year and a half that we were sending these targeted alerts, We'd say hey it looks like you're vulnerable it looks like you're vulnerable at this ip address on this port it's this particular item uh it's this vulnerability cve this from this year and we were sending those out and we thought you know we're, we're doing a great job here we're sending these out we're not getting a ton of feedback though we do get some some feedback hey thanks for putting this out uh, but we're not getting the level of feedback we need to make the program better uh, so probably it took us a year year and a half to have it dawn on us that it might make sense to ask for that feedback so we now we deliver all that intel at the beginning of the alert, but then the very last thing before I put my name and sign it is I say, hey, all, all feedbacks appreciated. Anything. So if somebody uh, follows up and says, hey, this isn't you know this isn't valuable for this reason, that's incredibly valuable because now I won't send any more alerts like that without first verifying whatever it is that they uh, made me aware of. Uh, so it's it's incredibly valuable to ask for that feedback. And then when somebody does provide that feedback, don't be afraid to, uh, to to go ahead and write back to them again and say, hey, thanks for the feedback here. Mm-hmm. Also, could you be a little bit more critical? Would you mind being critical of some of the other ones I've sent you or uh, some of the other alerts? Or is there an area that we could improve on? And that's kind of where the PACS Icon became uh, a big hit was uh, the feedback on those specifically are incredibly uh, they really value those alerts we also alert for exposed remote desktop rdp and uh cobalt strike things that precede ransomware uh but for uh this is the healthcare industry these pax dicom alerts are incredibly valuable to the members when they receive those we've had really good feedback where uh, over half of the alerts that we deliver on pax dicom those have been acknowledged and typically how those happen we send them to uh the uh the contact we have, and then that person simply tells us, hey, I'm, I'm forwarding it to the right department. And that's enough for us to go ahead and acknowledge it and note that they acknowledged it. And we, we do track who's, who's most engaged. And uh, we tend to go to the most engaged first when we get new intel so that we can share that and they can give us some feedback quickly uh, so that we can make sure we have the, uh, the information positioned correctly as we deliver the next you know several alerts to, uh, to other people that are potentially impacted.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I think from the perspective of, you know, kind of my perspective, reaching out cold calls to non members, um, you know, like I said, I get the deer in the headlights look a lot from, you know, um, okay, you know, because they're just not as cyber savvy as they need to be. But that said, I'm probably at this point comparing apples to oranges, healthcare is, you know, really ramped up their you know cyber acumen um you know what other sectors water and wastewater sector is the, I, I think they're next i think i'm i think i'm safe saying they're next in the in the crosshairs there with all the exposure that we got last year uh you know starting with Oldsmar and things of that nature um and with the 100 day 100 day action plan you know for you know now uh looking you know from the from the water for water uh so from that perspective Um, But yeah, good. Asking for feedback is huge. Sometimes you have to beg. I I do that with tribes like hey feedback requested even required please," kind of stuff so I appreciate that. Um, You mentioned in the beginning, Josh, um, about you didn't have a lot of success reaching out to some of the manufacturers. Um, You didn't get a lot of traction with the manufacturers. And I'm wondering, you know, why was it, oh, our products are fine or, oh, we can't update that, you know, it doesn't have the configuration, so we can't update it or we're doing that in the next release or so was it from that perspective or they just, you know, head in the sand, they didn't want to believe it, Um, you know, kind of a little bit of both.
2: No, the heart was definitely in the right place and the desire was to to go ahead and get that remedied for all all of them that are distributed but the the ask there was probably unrealistic there's so many of them out there with so many different configurations and how do you even track down what you know somebody may have acquired five years ago uh so we we thought it was a big win uh that the the defaults were able to be changed where it wouldn't be a problem moving forward as uh, new devices were distributed and added to networks Uh, So we we considered that a win from the manufacturer's perspective, Uh, but for the ones that are still out there in the wild, uh, those, you know, sometimes organizations close down, they're not even there to support it anymore, but the the tool still works, so why not keep it online? It's providing healthcare. So those, those are still out there. So those are the ones that we believe that a lot of these alerts that we're surfacing are just kind of a maybe a a piece of hardware that still does the job, uh, but it may not have been acquired within the last year to two years. uh, So it's showing up on our radar as having a vulnerable configuration. Uh, But we had a good cooperation and willingness uh, from from everybody to to chip away at this problem. Uh, We were just really excited a year and a half into this program when we started getting uh, people sharing information with us about specific uh, PAX DICOM systems uh, that were exposed. Uh, because that really brought it all home uh, to what we were kind of focused on when we first arrived here, uh, to what we're now delivering on.
0: Nice, awesome, yeah. You you bring up a kind of Pandora's box. I'm not even gonna not even gonna go there. It's a whole nother conversation about you know unsupported devices and you know configuration default configurations and stuff. And that's 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 for a techie show, not for this, not for the cybersecurity evangelist for everybody. Um, but one thing that you both have touched on obviously is the you know the PHI, the protected health information, and you know, why bad guys want it and what they do with it. And I think it was Zach who talked about, you know, how they they, you know, help build that identity profile, which lends itself to a thing called medical identity theft. Uh the FTC talks about that, warns about that. I'm gonna put that in a list. We've alluded to it without really saying medical identity theft. And for the listeners, I just want you to keep that in mind, what, what they said about, about that. So, you know, that your, your PII, your um, personally identifiable information, you know, your name and address and credit card information and bank account information and all that stuff that gets um, kind of the stuff that you can find open source, but, and stuff you can find in other places that get put together. And once you kind of are able to put that picture together, you're, you know, you can be identified and there's identity theft that takes care of that. So you have PII and you have regular identity theft, and then you've got this medical identity theft. Well, imagine putting those two together. And I mean, you know, for the, for the audience, just think about that. Now I've got, I'm gonna say a foolproof you know, identity now, but I've got, I've got a complete holistic picture, not just the PII, but now I can answer, you know, questions about medical procedures and, and I can pose as you, whether it's for just a new persona, um, you know, maybe, well, you know, someone died and someone's medical records have now been absorbed by a, you know, a bad actor who takes on that identity and, oh, but no, they died, well, (laughs) you're into a whole host of issues trying to prove it when you've got this bad actor walking around, running around, getting, you know, healthcare or whatnot, you know, under that, that identity. And, and I just started touching the surface. I mean, we could break it down and make it more um, manageable, but just kind of opening that box, thinking that you've got the different types of identity thefts and just think about putting them together. Now you've got this holistic person that's almost, I'm going to say in, impervious to break through. So, I don't know, your thoughts on, on what I just kind of opened up there?
2: Uh, so, I'd say to that is that the, uh, uh, as Zach mentioned, um, it's one thing for these identities to be created, uh, but the, the bigger risk, of course, is uh, an actual individual uh, being affected negatively in some way and that can come down to the reputation of a, a healthcare provider and that's often what happens when this information gets extorted is they they use that information they reach out to their provider and say hey we're gonna expose this information and show that you are uh, not not keeping everything private that was supposed to be kept private and that negatively impacts the patient which is ultimately what we're here to do is protect this patients from being impacted uh, so zach i don't know if you want to speak a little bit more to uh uh, to, to those negative impacts uh, from the healthcare perspective, as you previously worked uh, with one of those entities.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, there's a lot that goes into it, a lot to what they can do. Um, you, you talked about, Jen, just, you know, PII and PHI, or that protected health information or patient health information, um, as I've somewhat heard called it at times, is it, it just an extra layer of your personally identifiable information. So they have your social security number, your address, your bank account number. But now when you're getting into that health information, they have even more information to create that profile as Josh spoke about. And so there's a ridiculous amount of different things that they can do with that information as we spoke about before from extortion to fraud, data laundering, things of that nature. Um, you know, I've heard in the past, um, you know, they'll even take it and they'll misrepresent a specific patient to go out and even with a doctor's note with your information and they'll go get uh, medical equipment. And I can only uh, imagine what they do with that medical equipment, whether or not, you know, they sell it back to somebody or make money off of it that way um, and the different things that they do with that information. And this is where... I guess I would encourage everybody to kind of be their own advocate. Everybody's best advocate is themselves. Um, So as you're sitting there and making sure that you are trying to protect your own information, um, I would encourage you to go out there to the different resources that are available to you to help protect your information, to make sure that you can root out those potential problems that may occur down the road. Um, so you're notified, and that you can stop them be- before they become an even bigger issue.
0: So one of the things, and I think what with that, we're you're segueing into kind of starting to wrap this up. But that brought me, uh, you know, when I did the training and stuff for the small healthcare practices and talked about medical identity theft and protecting that information, and you know, imagine that an actor got my information and went and was able you know, to go into a hospital or get some treatment or whatever. And I don't know, some, some medication got removed, something that I'm allergic to got removed. Oh no, I'm not allergic to that. That's fine. And then the next time I go in somewhere and I'm maybe I'm unconscious and I don't have a card with me that says what I'm allergic to. And now that's removed from my, I mean, it's something, you know, is that, that, plausible example where something life-threatening could occur and because you know your records are all messed up now like what's going on you know you could have that That could be fairly serious yes no
1: I think that's an interesting twist as far as if somebody goes into a hospital claims to be you and now there are certain medications on your medical records especially as we go um, towards a more universal data system, if you're able to share your data with multiple sources, how that may be somewhat contra- contradicting to your real health status if they, ha- if you happen to be brought in and you're unconscious and uh, you can't really speak for yourself or advocate for yourself at that time, they may give you medications that may contraindicate um, with what you, you might be allergic to one of those medications and it could probably cause further complications. But uh, uh, I can definitely see that being an, an occurrence that may be out there. So that is why it's truly important that, you know, at the different multiple layers from you as the patient, from whoever has your patient records and from us helping augment as a health ISAC, Um, or ISAC, for that matter, of sharing that information to help protect you. So there's multiple layers to this whole process.
0: Absolutely. All right. So, Josh, anything else on that topic? And if not, I w- open this up for you guys to share anything else you want to about health ISAC. This is kind of, you know, it, I know the whole show has been about health ISAC, but if there's any special events or special reports, um, it doesn't have to be for every, anybody, just something you guys are, you know, else you guys are specifically proud of. Uh, the Threat Operations Center is amazing. Um... I I loved getting to know both of you better with this, but, um, anything else you want to share about health ISAC? And then after that, I'll ask you to do kind of general awareness related parting words. One thing to tell the listeners, um, you, you kind of said it a few times, so I'm hoping you hit that one home, but if you've got anything else, you know, public service announcements, that would be cool. So, um, Josh, we'll let you go first this time.
2: Sure. Uh, so the last thing I would want to mention is just a, a big thanks to the community. It's uh, as you mentioned, we we send uh, information to members and non-members, and it doesn't matter if you're a member or not. If you can provide some valuable intel back to us or some valuable feedback, that's incredibly valuable for protecting the entire community. Uh, so I would take this time to to thank uh, the the folks that have provided that feedback and. Uh, ha- and continue to provide that feedback as we improve our our information sharing capabilities. I just want to thank everybody for all the feedback they've provided as we develop and we grow and become better at what we're doing. Uh, We're not doing that on our own. (laughs) That's a product of the community and uh, all the members that are providing feedback and sharing information.
0: Awesome. Zach?
1: Um, Yeah, a couple things I'll mention before uh, we conclude here is, you know, recently, uh, Health ISAC, the Threat Operations Center for that matter, and and some of the analysts here worked on an annual threat assessment. There should be, uh, right now it's a TLP green version, meaning meaning it's internal. Um, We should distill that down into what's known as a TLP white or a more public version, um, that it's a little bit shorter of of a document that'll be available to the public here soon. So I would encourage you, if you're interested in a little bit more about what we do, and how we help augment the healthcare sector is to get your hands on that report. Um, I also would like to talk about how we also have some cross-sector independent, interdependencies with some of the other ISACs and how we share information amongst ISACs. And, to me, it would be very important for us, as especially with what's going on in Ukraine and Russia at this given time, is to share information with not only the water ISAC, but also the energy ISAC and any other ISAC that's critical infrastructure that a hospital system or other members for that matter may be dependent upon, because obviously those hospitals are dependent upon getting water into that hospital or electricity for that matter and not consistently going to their battery backup or their business continuity and resilience plans. So I would like to thank those organizations as well for providing the information that they do to the National Council of ISACs that help keep us honest. Um, And I'd also like to mention that we also have a summit coming up here on May uh, second to the sixth, which brings a lot of vendors, and a lot of our membership together um, to kind of level set what's going on within the healthcare sector and the cyber threats and physical threats that we face at that time. A uh, Another thing that we have going on here soon in, uh, is a, uh, I think it's sponsored by McKesson. It's going to be in Ireland. Um, so please look out for that. And again, I I'd really like to drive home the point that the reason we get into this, the thing that drives this team on a day-to-day basis, it's not health. ISEC. It's not our members. It's who our members serve on a day-to-day basis that we're here for on it. As far as our mission and really what drives us. So, um, I would really encourage everybody out there, given this current landscape with what's going on with Russia and Ukraine to be on the lookout for, phishing or or Ukraine, Russia-themed phishing attacks that may be coming either into your phone via phishing or via your email for phishing, and to be very hesitant to click on any links and attachments that may be in those disseminations that are coming into your either computer or Uh, mobile device. So please be on the lookout for that and be very leery of what you're being sent, because more than likely, I would assume that it's probably going to be malicious.
0: Well said. Absolutely well said. Yeah. And the more sensational those links sound, uh, those headlines sound, uh, the more suspicious you should look at them with. So, uh, or just delete them altogether. (laughs) That's my advice. But uh, absolutely well said. Thank you. Um, Parting words you shared about Health ISAC. I think Josh, did you ha- did you have a parting word like the security awareness one related thing, like the phishing and dishing? No. Okay. Uh, yeah,
2: I can I can throw one in there. Uh, we, we've been working on uh, awareness for each month, and uh, the big one that we uh, we did for February uh, was multi-factor uh, multi-factor awareness, multi-factor authentication uh, on uh, I believe it was uh, February first, uh, Okta, Salesforce and Tableau, uh, three pieces of software that we use, uh, they all forced uh, multi-factor authentication, uh, regardless of whether or not you wanted to have it optional before that they, they went ahead and forced it. Uh, so that was uh, something that caught our attention. So we went ahead and, uh, dedicated February uh, to multi-factor authentication awareness. And, uh, I would just encourage everybody to do, uh, especially if you're sharing your uh, health information or PHI, uh, try to try to make sure that information is being shared into a system that has multi-factor authentication. And if you happen to be uh, sharing your information into a system that doesn't have that already, uh, don't be afraid to reach out to uh, your practitioner and uh, ask that they enable that or uh, bolster their security in some way to help protect your uh, privacy.
1: Josh, can you explain a little bit to the audience about what multi-factor authentication is for those that don't like I'm thinking of my mom and my dad, and <laughs> I try to encourage them all the time to set up multi-factor authentication. What's the easiest way for them to understand it and implement it on their multiple sure. different systems? Yeah,
2: no, that's great. I, I should have definitely defined that. The uh, multi-factor authentication, uh, single-factor authentication is just your uh, email address and uh, password. That's basic authentication. Uh, but the multi-factor authentication is when you're providing not only an email address and password, Uh, But there's also one of those rolling codes that comes out with six digits that often comes as a text message to your phone or maybe an authentication app from Google. Uh, Those can be used uh, to gain access with that that six-digit code that they send to your device. A lot of times when the threat actors get access to uh, credentials and things for signing in the systems, those are uh, pretty useless to them without having that second factor or the phone that's tied to that account uh, because those are required when people sign in. Uh, so that's effectively how multi-factor works.
0: Awesome! Thanks for both PSAs and Zach. You kind of spoke to my heart there with the uh, the shout out to the cross sector dependencies and uh, you know water and wastewater and health and uh, energy, electricity, DNG, downstream natural gas. We've had all, we've had them on the show too. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, appreciate well, that. Me, I, I
1: really do think it's important that if we're expecting our internal members. To, to stay true to those key pillars of, of information sharing and analysis center, the sharing, the analysis, that we do the same amongst the different ISACs that are under the umbrella of the National Council of ISACs, that we break down the walls, the silos, share information amongst one another, because the, 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 most of the attacks are, are spray and pray. There's some targeted attacks, but you know, with it being critical infrastructure, we definitely need to share information amongst one another because we are heavily relying on one another. So, thank you for all the work that you do over there,
0: and thank you for the shout out. See, I've said it said it before. The ISEX are we're kind of a family within a family as well. So, uh, we look out for each other, and that's kind of what the the ISAC series I had kind of demonstrated as well um, here on the Cybersecurity Evangelist. So um, I hope you everybody enjoyed and learned something today on the Cybersecurity Evangelist. I wanna thank uh, Zach and Josh for joining me today. It was my pleasure to host you. And, you know, Zach, I I know you guys said this was your first podcast, but I think you guys can take off on your own. So maybe there's a health ISAC pod on the, on the horizon. (laughs) I don't know. It should be
1: Um, nice, but yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully your audience, um, gain a little bit more knowledge than what they had before the, uh, the podcast and, uh, you know, it's just a testament to the, the team that we're building out here and the interdependencies that we have that, that help protect the, uh, every, every vertical for that matter. So thank you very much for having us.
0: Yeah, thank you. I hope the audience understands more about what, you know, there's more to that HIPAA form that you're, that you're filling out, that you sign uh, every time the doctors shove it in front of your face. So you're learning a, learned a little bit more behind the scenes on what goes on um, and, and enforcing that, if you will. Um, So until next time, check out the gate 15 family of podcasts. You can always find us throughout the month between Dave Pounder and his nerd out security panel discussion, Andy DeBoer with the gate 15 interview, of course, myself here on TCE and all three of us then when we circle back up on the risk round table, but join me next time. I'm actually planning to chat with another ISAC again, another one familiar with the gate 15 pod. Um, the Space ISAC. They've invited us to join them virtually at the Space Symposium. So I grabbed them for my guest for next month. But until then, thank you for listening. I'm Jennifer Lynn Walker, the Cybersecurity Evangelist. The Cybersecurity Evangelist is a Gate 15 production. Please visit the Gate 15 podcast channel for more. Our full podcast lineup includes The Risk Roundtable, the cybersecurity evangelist, nerd out security panel discussion, and the gate 15 interview.